Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Welcome to Make It Clear, and I'm so glad that you could be with us. I want to thank you for listening to us as often as you can. You know our program is designed with you in mind and to help you to know the Lord and to grow in the Lord as well. Now, our programs mostly cover what we call life application Bible teaching. That's where we take you through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in a way that you could know what the Word of God has to say, but also how the Lord would want you to apply it to your life so that your life becomes a spiritual influence to others and you get to know Him more intimately as well. But also on our program, we have different people that we like to interview. People that really have history, which is really his story in their life, which is God's story in their life. We do that because we want those interviews to encourage you, to instruct you, but to have a real inspiration in your life. And we've had a wonderful time interviewing a lot of great people. Well, today we're going to do something different. Not that I'm a great person, but we receive a lot of questions. Who are you, Stan? And how did you get started? And what is your faith journey? And Where's Make It Clear Ministries going? Things like that. Well, I've asked a very special friend who also happens to be the vice president of ministry here at Make It Clear Ministries. He's been with us for many years, and he really has a heart turned toward the Lord. You'll never know him, but every time you listen to Make It Clear or you follow us on social media or any part of Make It Clear Ministries, He's the biggest one behind the scenes, making us sound good as best as he can with what he has to work with. So I've asked him if he would interview me, and uh, there's no script. I'm not really sure what he's going to be asking and where we're going to be going, but it should be fun. So I want to introduce you now to my dear friend, fellow colleague, and co-labor in Christ with Make It Clear Ministries, and that is John Bame. John, welcome to Make It Clear. Well, thanks, Dan. I really appreciate allowing me to ask these questions of you today. I think the listeners are going to really be excited to hear what you have to say and talk about Make It Clear and, and how it became the ministry that it is and how you got to where you are today. So I'm really excited about that. Well, thank you. And um, so just go ahead and fire away. I'm kind of excited to know a little bit about what you're going to ask and uh, have an opportunity to share what God's been doing in my life all these years. I think I've found that, generally speaking, it's always best to start at the beginning. So tell us a little bit about where you were born, where you were brought up, and a little bit of that part of your life. Well, I like to humorously say I was born very close to my mother, you know, if you know what I mean. But actually, I was born in Chicago, a suburb of Chicago called Downers Grove, which is near Wheaton. And many of you know of that. And Downers Grove is the home of InterVarsity Press. But not because my family was ministry-minded. It was just because... They became what they were first generation Americans. I would be a second generation America American. They came from Switzerland and Czechoslovakia at the turn of the century. So I was born in Chicago. From Chicago, you ended up moving to Florida at some point in time. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Sure. My dad was in the painting contractor industry, you might say. He owned his own company and he did a lot of work in Chicago, as did his uh, family. And so we were well established there. But the weather, those cold, windy winters, really was taking a toll on my father, whom I loved dearly. And so he decided that it was time for the family to move south. And in those days, in the 50s, a lot of folks were migrating further south. And we ended up migrating to what we would call North Miami Beach, Florida. So we were in South Florida in the Miami area. We did that in 1958 when I was eight years old, and it was quite an experience in a positive way. You moved down to Miami. You didn't know many people down there, and from what I know of you, you became a surfer at some point in time. What drew you to surfing? Yeah, what made me do that as a sport? Well, it's interesting you should ask. I happen to be not a healthy person when I was younger. The childhood sicknesses that people get really took a toll on me, so I spent a lot of time uh, alone. sometimes in the hospital, sometimes at home in my own room, recuperating, etc. So I wasn't a strong, healthy, you know, athlete. So I didn't really get involved in team sports, a little bit of Little League, but not much. And so I I kind of rolled in the direction of something that I could do athletically, but is not so much a team sport, which would be surfing. And so I found that uh, being uh, involved in surfing was good. It was healthy. It was a water sport. I enjoyed it. I can do it by myself. I can do it at any time. Didn't have to connect with schedule or anything. So with all of that, that got me into surfing, which I have literally done since I was probably 12 years old all the way till now and surfed in Florida and California, Hawaii. And uh, that has been a uh, fun part of my life, but it didn't drive my life. And I guess the important question that most surfers would want to know is, Longboard or shortboard? <laughs> Good question. I'm an old-fashioned longboarder. This would be without leashes. And so when you lost your board and you had a wipeout, you swam to the beach. Did you have any close calls while you were uh, doing surfing? I did. In fact, the Lord used one of those to really awaken me to the brevity of life, we might say. One of those happened to be where I was on a wave, and, and you, the guy who's on the wave, there's certain known who has the right of way in a wave, and I had that right of way, but I couldn't get uh, off the, the wave the way I wanted to, so I had a horrible wipeout. And when I did, I came to the surface, and usually you look to the, uh, to the shore to see if your board is there, and it was, and I looked back out to the sea. The ocean and uh, the by then the next wave came and slung it up against my face and knocked my teeth out my front teeth all of that you know it's a bad situation but during that time when I was underwater I really realized I could die and listeners I wonder if you ever went through something like that where there was something that you really thought that you might really die well I did and I grew up in a home where my dad said good boys go to heaven and bad boys go to hell and Stan if you're good you'll go to heaven but if you're bad you'll go to hell and then dad said you're bad so I was afraid of dying and going to hell because I know I wasn't perfect so underwater I just cried out to the Lord and I said Lord I want to know what do I really need to do so that I could know that when I die I'll go to heaven so that whole surfing thing got God wrapped it around a way that he could awaken me to my need of salvation to have me cry out to him to have that way shown to me. I assume that you didn't get that answer right then while you were underwater. No, there was no voice underwater, no voice from God. It was just I I planted that prayer at the feet of God and just waited on him to give me that answer. But I waited fearfully because I I didn't get it yet and I still didn't know. And so I was still afraid of dying. So I, I know that your family wasn't one that attended church a lot and you weren't really brought up in a Christ driven home, but you were brought up in a 
home that you felt loved. And we've talked a little bit about your father, and your father had a lot of influence on you. Tell us a little bit about your dad. My dad was a good man. He was a moral man. I never saw him drunk. I never seen him ogle another woman. He had uh, great discipline in his life, but he also wanted his uh, sons and daughter to really grow up with a with a moral life. But also, I respected my dad. We might say you you'd fear your dad, not an unusual fear, but there was that fear. Uh, one of the most unusual things happened is when I did come to Christ, and I had an encounter with my dad within hours of trusting Christ. So you say you came to Christ. Tell us a little bit about that. Now, I've heard your testimony on that, and obviously you'll, you'll explain that a little bit, but maybe go into a little bit of the heartfelt things that were happening at that time as well, why you were so receptive to the gospel. Well, again, we mentioned how I was afraid of dying, but somewhere along the line, um, I would like to say that I had a God consciousness. I remember as a kid growing up, much younger, I would say my prayers every day. I never mocked religion or God or people like that. So there was a sensitivity to that. So while I didn't know the Lord, I wanted to know more about it. And so I could remember that as I prayed for that, I was invited out to a meeting and I didn't make that meeting, oddly enough. And when I came back to school, the next day, the person said, hey, we missed you at this meeting, which was a Bible study, but I I didn't go to it. And I was really crying out to God the Saturday before then. And the Lord, again, brought different uh, radio preachers. I was reading a book about Hawaii and the missionaries there, although that book is really kind of off message of the truth of the history of the missionaries in Hawaii, but they did have missionaries. But I never knew, again, how to have eternal life. And I always questioned, where will I go when I die? Until a very special thing happened to me when I was in class at high school. I, I know the story, and I know who this person was that you had in that class. Tell us who that person is, not necessarily revealing who they are now. Who is that person? In school, I took a course, and it was called Public Speaking, Speech and Debate. And I was driven by that, unusually, because I felt like I'd like to go into radio broadcasting. Had no ministry in mind. I wasn't trying to be a movie star, a TV star, anything like that. I would wanted to go into broadcasting, whether it was sports, weather, news, more of a broadcasting. So I took it for that reason. I knew speech would help me then, as well as how to do it extemporaneously and all of that. But I was still in surfing. So I sat in the back of the classroom near the window, determining what the weather would be like, because that generally determined what the waves might be like in South Florida. But oddly enough, for whatever reason, the teacher said, hey, Stan, you in the back of the room, I want you to sit up here. And literally, I was in one corner of the room, and she moved me diagonally all the way to the other side of the room. I wasn't bad, but I was distracted. And so she wanted me to be up closer to the front of the room, and so she put me right in the front of the room. While I was sitting there in the front of the room, after a month or so, I they had us do speeches. And what caught my eye was when they had us speak on what did we do in the summer. Well, of course, I gave my speech, what I did in the summer. I surfed and where I surfed and all that kind of stuff. And the girl, though, got up, sat next to me, and she then stood up and said, I went to a Christian camp. And at this camp, there were high school football players and cheerleaders, and we were all learning the Bible together and how that we could know we have eternal life by trusting Christ as Savior. I thought to myself, this is kind of weird, these religious people, but they look pretty normal. In fact, pretty sharp athletes, cheerleaders, good-looking people, people that seem to have their life together, but they knew something about Christ that I didn't. So that piqued my interest, but that's about as far as it went. Well, the next thing that happened is she then 
asked all the people that are around her, all the kids around her, and said, you want to go to youth meeting? You want to go to youth meeting? You want to go to youth meeting? And uh, she said to me, Stan, would you go? And I said, yeah. She said, anybody who goes with me, I will buy their ticket to the major state championship football game in the Miami Orange Bowl. That dates it, I know, because it's called different now. But anyway, so I said, I'd go. Here's a good-looking gal. She's going to invite me out to a ball game. But then she went a little further, and she says, I'm going to take you to the ball game if you will go with me to what is known as a fifth quarter. Now, you got four quarters of the football game, but the fifth quarter was this Bible study, this youth meeting. Then it was called Christian Youth Ranch. So I thought, yeah, I can endure that, although my mind said, who studies their Bible? A bunch of religious rejects, so to speak, but I can endure that. Well, the funny thing that happened when she showed up at our do- my door, she came in a Corvair Monza, a little sports car back then, a 64 version of it, but she didn't date me. All she did was invite me to go out with her, and she had her girlfriend on the front seat and the bucket seat, and I had to sit in the back so there wouldn't be any mis- mixed messages that was going on. So I showed up at the football game with her, and then afterwards I said, okay, you can take me home now. And she said, you know what? You promised you'd go to the youth meeting. And I went to that youth meeting, John, and I'm telling you, it was really different than I could ever imagine in a good way. The meetings that you went to, you say that they're different in a good way. How are they different from other meetings or how you envisioned it to be? Well, again, I thought it'd be a handful of kids sitting on the floor with a big 25-pound family Bible, flipping through it, uh, talking about some myths or stories and some distant years ago kind of thing, eons ago. And so I just thought that what it would be like. But I knew something was wrong when we pulled up to the church that it met in. We couldn't even find a parking place. Now, we're talking 1030 at night now after the game. And so she drove around a little bit, found a little place to stick her little Corvair in and all that. And then we walked in the door because it already the kids were already there because the ball game went late and a lot of traffic, all of that. And they're all seated on the floor. It looked like wall-to-wall human carpeting, if you know what I mean. But they were singing, vibrantly, focused. It wasn't like they were made to sing. It was like they wanted to sing, and they were singing songs about Jesus Christ. They were singing songs about going to heaven. They were singing songs about life as we should live it. And it was exciting, clapping and all that. Well, we found a seat, and as I looked up at the front, from one end of the room to the other end in the front were guitar players and guys and gals playing instruments, and they were singing. But I also noticed there was an older man, and he was sitting on like a stool you'd have in your kitchen. And on his lap was a very well-worn Bible. Well, as they did it, they took the music that was very vibrant, and they allowed the music to slow down, to kind of bring us down to a maybe what we call a a worshipful spirit. And then everybody went to sit down amongst their friends, uh, the ones on the team. And the guy said, you know what? I imagine there are some people here that were at the ball game. Do we have any football players at the game that would like to share their testimony? I don't know any testimony. I didn't know what that meant. But different ones were popping up their hands, and he was picking on them, and these ball players were saying, you know what? I know that I'm going to heaven. Immediately when they said that, I remembered I wanted to know. I didn't know. They knew I need to listen. 
So I did. And all they said was simply they knew they were going to heaven, that they know they've done things wrong, but all they had to do was to trust Christ as their Savior for the forgiveness of sin, and they got that. And I kept thinking, no, that can't be. These guys can't really know, because I know that you know football players, what they say and all that stuff when they drop the football and all that. Not saying those guys did it, but I just know what they were. Well, then the next thing, he had cheerleaders get up. They said the same thing. They were going to heaven, but I didn't pay much attention because they were so good looking. I was just looking at them. Well, after they sat down, he then opened that well-worn Bible, John, and he didn't just jump in and start preaching some stuff for the Bible. He said, I know in a crowd like this, with teenagers present, that there will be those who question the accuracy of the Bible. Is it really God's word? And so then he went through the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, and began to show us that the Bible is true, that it is historically accurate, it is prophetically accurate, it is archaeologically accurate, that it really has the saleability of it. If it was uh, fake, we wouldn't have the Bible today. It had been kind of thrown away a long time ago. But the most important thing he said is when you engage the word of God, you'll know Jesus Christ is your Savior. It will change your life. And I thought, man, this book must be very powerful after he objectively proved it to us and then subjectively proved it to us. So now I'm really leaning in and I'm thinking, I sure hope this guy now tells me what I need to do to go to heaven because I'm really wanting to know that. There's enough there I'm seeing God putting it together. And my, what a great job he did as explaining that message of salvation. Did you trust Christ as Savior at that point in time or did you have to go home, think about it or... Well, I, I know that God will work in a person's life on God's timetable. And he knows our days before we were ever born. So at different times, people might uh, engage Christ, trust Christ as Savior. But for me, how that happened is after he gave that message of salvation, he then concluded it with a prayer, etc. And we all stood up and the majority, the vast majority of kids ran out into the parking lot. They had big uh, volleyball stuff set up and they were playing ball. But this gal who brought me was pretty smart. She didn't just let me run out there. So she uh, held my arm and she said, do you mind if I ask you a question, Sam? I said, go ahead. She said, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? And I said, sure. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah, I heard that message. I know. Now, she was smart enough not to say, hey, give me a high five. That's great. And assume that I'm a Christian. She wanted to probe the real reality of it in my mind. And so she said, all right, how many birthdays do you need to have in order to go to heaven? Well, I was 16 at the time, so I thought, well, 16. I need 16 birthdays and I'll go to heaven. And then she said, well, that, I guess that's true if you trusted Christ and you died today. But she said, but how many birthdays do you need to have in order to go to heaven? Well, I didn't know that one. And so then she says, you need two birthdays. She said, the first birthday is when you're born in your mom and dad's family. And she said, obviously, you're born in your mom and dad's family. You're here. But you need a second birthday to go to heaven. And that's when you're born into God's family. Ah, I didn't know what that meant. She said, that's when you're kind of born the second time. And that happens when you trust Christ as your Savior. And so now how many birthdays do you need to have to go to heaven? I said, two. But that still didn't satisfy her. So she says, let me probe a little bit different, differently. And so what she had was a little pamphlet that said, am I going to heaven? Check below what you think is necessary, like a little quiz. So I opened it up and I looked at it. What do I need to do? And it had 18 different things on there of what a person needed to do to go to heaven. Well, as I read through those, I knew that none of those would get me to heaven. It wasn't by works. It wasn't by religious works. It wasn't by any of that that it had in there. But I thought, 
nobody would print a pamphlet without the right answer on it. So I asked for her pen and I checked every one of those, all 18, checkity, checkity, check, check, check. And I was so proud. I handed it back to her because I knew I was into heaven now because I got it right. She was so kind and loving. She didn't say, ah, Stan, you failed. No, she said, a lot of people do what you did, but let me show you what the right answer is. So she showed me that none of those things would get me to heaven. There was verse after verse after verse after verse that said, no good deed I do myself will get me to heaven. Then she flipped it to the back that had that magical, mystical, but accurate answer, which is simply, Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. And for us to have eternal life, all we must do to do this is to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the full, forever forgiveness of sin. Well, that night, right then, it all made sense. So at that moment, I realized that all I needed to do was trust Christ as Savior. So I would say, that night, John, I trusted Christ as Savior. And in her special way, she led me to Christ, although the Spirit of God and the gospel all worked within me. And, and I really trusted Christ then, and I was so full of joy that I knew... I knew, I knew I was going to heaven because of what Christ did for me. Well, that's wonderful because many people have that same question that you've had. Your explanation of what the requirements are for heaven are probably much different than many people think they are. The simple faith in Christ alone is truly what gets you to heaven. But a lot of people use their salvation as fire insurance. Mm -hmm. It gets me out of hell and I I get to go to heaven, but I'm going to go live my life as I please. I'm going to do whatever I want. I don't care. Is that what you did? That's a good question because a lot of people might think that and that could be true because the Bible does say we're all sinners and because we're sinners by nature and choice, we're we're separated from him and when we die, we'll spend eternity separated from him in a horrible place called hell. But that to go to heaven, we got to be perfect, but we're not. And that's why Jesus says, I'll take all your sin on myself. I will do the work you can't do in order for you to have eternal life. So he did it all. And then he comes back and he says, it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's by faith in Christ and that God loved me. And all I had to do was to trust him as Savior. So for me that night was, yes, uh, fire insurance, I guess you could say, because I knew that I would not go to hell and suffer you know, damnation and condemnation forever and ever. But it wasn't a, hey, now I can go out and live as I please response. It was like, why didn't someone tell me this? Why am I hearing this for the first time? And then I got thinking, if I'm hearing this for the first time, that must mean that the other people in my life don't know this because, I'm assuming this, that if they did know this, they would be telling me this and they never did. So I immediately said, Lord, I want to thank you for dying for me on the cross, but kind of like, I want to live a thank you life by telling others because I wasn't told. That was, for me, the motivation that got me going. Now, since then, I've learned a lot more from the Bible and the kind of motivations that the Lord would expect, but I don't think the one that I had was such a bad one because I loved others and I loved the Lord and I wanted them to know. So I left that meeting and I headed home. I know part of the story is when you got home. Tell us about that part of the story. It was late. Remember the ball game after the ball game and the youth meeting was almost an hour from my house. So I finally am dropped off and um, now I'm going in the door and I'm just, you can't imagine what it's like for someone who is afraid of dying now not to be afraid of dying. No, he's going to heaven. A whole brand new experience because I never was reared in church. I come in the front door and I was met by my dad 
Now, my dad was a good man, and he, he always would go to bed early because he was a hard worker in construction, all of that kind of stuff, but he waited up for me, and it was about 1 o'clock. His first question is, where were you? And I told him about the ball game, and then he said, why don't you come home after the ball game? I told him about the Bible study, and uh, because he never went to church or anything, he didn't know much about it, but he was a little angry that I was up late because I had to go to work the next day. And he said, well, what did you learn in the Bible study? And then it came out. I mean, it just, I remember, I was so excited. I said, Dad, you'll never believe what happened to me tonight. I learned tonight that I'm going to heaven, but you're going to hell. And of course, when you do that to a dad, I'll tell you, I, I popped his bubble of pride. And when that happened, it exploded on me. And I have to tell you that I, I did all the wrong things. I, my heart was right. I wanted to go to heaven, but I never was taught how. So we danced around the table for, I don't know how long and calmed each other down and but he didn't trust Christ, of course. I, I didn't say it right and all of that. But that was um, a beginning of a little bit longer journey with him until he came to faith in Christ. Well, we kind of skipped over the young lady that introduced you to the Bible study. And tell us a little bit about her. Did that relationship go on? Did you see her again? What happened there? Well, um, obviously, I was very grateful for her inviting me out. And I didn't have a Bible. We didn't, we never, I, I didn't know anything about a Bible. But I remember as she was taking me home, I said, this is so good. And she said, would you like to go next week? And I said, yes. And uh, But for whatever reason, um, she did not say, uh, could I pick you up? You know, no, it wasn't. It just got to go next week. I was blessed because I had a little car, a little old used car. And I said, you know what? I, I, I'll come myself next week. Well, that didn't happen. I came with a whole carload of kids because I wanted everybody to hear this message. But I somehow found her in the crowd and wanted her to see that I brought some friends and wanted them to meet the friends, all that kind of stuff. And then afterwards, she went home. I dropped my friends off, but I went back to her house and then we prayed. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.